Well, I lost a magnet on my uh, microphone, so now I'm back to the Britney Spears that I am uh, humbled by, distracted by. <laughs> uh, tonight, so tonight, I want to talk about um, politics and glory, and then relate the readings to those two um, themes. Maybe I'll start with glory, and then get to politics, and then come back to glory. So, what is glory? We keep using that all over the place here. Jesus did this as, as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. There was something in the... I don't have the readings here. Yeah, you'll have to remember it. Something in the psalm about glorifying God. We give glory to God. Glorify God among the nations. It's a sort of appeal to... Um, the people Israel, the psalmist is saying, hey, your job, your role, your life is giving glory to God. And then in the first reading, you heard something about God will vindicate Israel, vindicate Jerusalem, will return her to her glory. So I think it does us well to ask the question, what is glory? Do you have a sense of what is Glory. What do we mean when we, we use this term? It's kind of abstract. It's a theological term. Um, but we have, other, we have other words in our culture for the same thing. And I think my favorite is awesome. <laughs> Awesomeness. Uh, it's something like when I was growing up, you got, um, now I'm, I don't know, some of you are younger, but Michael Jordan was playing basketball. Did you ever watch Michael Jordan? People who never watched basketball would want to watch because of this guy. He was that good. He was so good. It seemed like he couldn't do anything wrong. At the height of his glory, this is glory. It's something about um, impressiveness, awesomeness. You could say there, will, there, will, there was never, there will never be another basketball player like this guy. He's perfection. And it's so impressive. It's moving for people to see, you know. It's compelling. I went to the uh, Colorado Symphony Orchestra last night. It was beautiful. Uh, thank you. If any of you are in the Symphony Orchestra for Colorado, thank you for inspiring us and for the, uh, the beautiful music. I just love it. Love it. It's a little expensive. You can work on that too. But <laughs> um, I got to hear um, the, the symphony play composition by Dvorak. You know Dvorak? Uh, and I, I just felt like this is the best thing that was ever written. Um, amazing music. Uh, it makes you, well, inspired. It makes you humbled. Like, I, 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 wish, I wish I could be like that, you know? And, but I don't mind that I'm not. I'm not. I don't mind that I'm not some brilliant composer. I'm just happy right now that there is one. And that is a gift to me, you know? It's so compelling, the glory of this music. Uh, do you like Dvorak, our musicians? I think it was, uh, well, glorious. Absolutely. Our music here is glorious. Our prayer here is glorious. Our, um, our saints, the, the people who are, are around us inspire us with the glory. But there's nothing, nothing, no one more glorious than God, awesome than God. And part of Jesus' role coming to earth was to reveal the glory of God to the world. We've always been following God throughout, throughout history. We've been talking about God. We've just kind of tried to imagine what's beyond. 
But the human mind can, can dream for it, can, can search for it, can reach for it, but can't really get there. Can't really understand, can't see into the greatness of the one who is beyond, or that which is beyond. As we come up with all these theories, God came and showed us, revealed to us himself. The awesomeness of God, who is love, um, in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful thing, but it has to be sensed, right? So it, people didn't even notice it, according to John's gospel, until Jesus started to reveal it in his miracles. In this miracle at Cana, the, 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 where the wine or the water was turned to wine, Jesus did this as a beginning of signs and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. He starts to show how awesome he is with this sign at the wedding feast at Cana, turning the water into wine. He starts, uh, and, and, and this, this glory, those who saw this were comp so compelled by the beauty of this message, the beauty of this sign, the beauty of this miracle, and this person, starting to get to know this person, that they were awestruck, just amazed by him, and they had to follow him. Okay. All right, how do I get around to the politics and back to the glory. <laughs> um, I'm going to just shift now over to the politics, and then I'll see if I can tie it back in. So today, um, well, what is it? Monday, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., and uh, this is a wonderful celebration. Uh, our whole country celebrates together because it's the triumph of people. It's the triumph of justice. Um, it's a moment in, in our history of our country and in the history of the world where uh, there was healing and there was peace and something was set right. You know, there were people who were being segregated, thought to be less than other people. They were being insulted constantly just by the system of the world. And um, they were given hope. They were given dignity and given freedom, um, at least to a certain extent. I mean, we're always working on things in the world, No. But that's what we're celebrating, that the hopes of people in the face of the oppressions of life and in a fallen world, um, especially with respect to feeling trapped by the systems of power in the world, uh, that hopes are not in vain. That by the grace of God and by the cooperation of people, the goodwill of people, that things can change for the good. So we're celebrating this great moment of hope, and we're very grateful for that. I hope that you'll celebrate well. You know, try to try to savor that, the 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 how the world has changed for the good. Um, that's what we're celebrating. We're also going to be remembering a um, the day after that uh, it was the passing of Roe versus Wade, an issue uh, legalizing abortion, um, a, a a very sad reality that has has really um, frustrated the world. Uh, turned things back on their head in a lot of ways and uh, presented new injustices to the world. And Christians for decades now have been uh, hoping, and sometimes it feels discouraged and difficult, you know, um, hoping for a way to solve this problem. Um, on the one hand, it's one hoping that the pol politicians will change something, but also for the conversion of people so that we don't have to, we don't have to suffer this um, for, 
practical solutions, we've done a lot of work for practical solutions to, pr to provide for those who are afraid, those who are suffering, um, to pr provide education and hope for people. Uh, but in a lot of ways, the, the society uh, still has not changed in this regard. And if you think about it, I don't know, a lot of people think about politics. Um, there's a lot of ways that we are not perfect as a society, right? That the world, the world has fallen, we try to make it the best we can. Uh, we enjoy a very peaceful time, um, relatively speaking. We don't live through war. Um, we don't have dictators who are oppressing us constantly or crazy and doing outrageous things. Uh, some might say that about some of our leadership, but I don't think that's the case. Um, I, if you know history, you know differently. If you know world um, politics, you know a little bit differently. There's some perspective in that. Anyway, there are problems. There are problems, and uh, Christians have been concerned about that and should be concerned about those things. Um, and I want to shift back to the wedding feast at Cana to try to give us some perspective about why we should be concerned, how it fits into our life as Christians, and then also uh, what we need to hope for and what we don't need to hope for. Okay? So the wedding feast of Cana fits into this big story of salvation history that says that the reason that Jesus came was to save the world. You think on John's prologue, he says, or on, on the third chapter when he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who should believe would have life in him, right? Salvation. God loved the world. That's the first conviction that God, uh, th this whole story that we live in and, and the story that we tell is a story of the love of God for the world, for every individual. The, 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 we proclaim this God as the father of everyone, who loves everyone dearly, who cares about everyone, uh, about every hair on the head of every person who is. And God wants to save the world. And so his, his solution to this fallen world that was in darkness was to send his light. It was to send Jesus. And to begin to reveal his glory. To, just, to take people's eyes off of our own little world and its fallenness. Our own little self and its fallenness. Our own selfishness, our fears, all of the evil in the world. Sin, darkness. And to direct our gaze and our life toward uh, toward God, who is love, to set us free. And to do that, there's no, there's no more glorious thing that God did for us than th that he died for us, right? Died on the cross, showing us his love in a way that's undeniable. Or it's hard to deny, I guess. It is, well, unfortunately, deniable. So he's, he's setting his son in a position of glory because this is the one who will reveal God, the one who is love. This is the one who will save people. Um, Jesus, in this, uh, in this wedding feast at Cana, proclaims something that is maybe not immediately evident, and that is that he has come and he's creating a whole new world, a whole new order. All of your expectations are, have to be out the door. All of the world with the way it is, uh, we tell our kids, welcome to the real world. <laughs> Um, you got, you're going to have to rethink and challenge everything. One of the ways that John does that with his gospel is that he sets the wedding feast of Cana on the eighth day. Do you know about that eighth day? So 
he, he starts his gospel with, in the beginning, God, right? And it's supposed to make us recall the first words of Genesis, that at the beginning of creation, in the beginning, God created, right? John is claiming that there's some, something of a new creation here that's happening in, uh, in the coming of Christ, in the incarnation. In the beginning, he's starting over. And John takes you through seven days with the, this, this, uh, w- with the baptism of Jesus ending on that seventh day, kind of completing all of, the, of creation, capturing all of creation in Jesus. And then we have this first uh, sign on the eighth day where the abundance of wine, an image of joy, an image of the Eucharist, an image of, um, of extravagance and of perfection. This is better wine than ever, anybody ever expected, right? The eighth day means that our expectations that go up to seven days, everything we see in the world, all of creation that we know, uh, is, is perfect and complete in seven days. And, and we think we know everything. We think we've seen everything. And then Jesus comes along, and on that eighth day, um, there, is, there is no eighth day in a week. Seventh, it's supposed to be seven days and start over. That's supposed to be complete. Jesus introduces something absolutely new. Something new has come into the world. There's a new creation in Christ. And uh, he's celebrating that, marking that with this outpouring of wine, outpouring of joy, of grace. Um, at a time of celebration. And he's also using the image of a wedding to do that. Who is, uh, in the New Testament literature, Jesus is wed to someone. Who do you think that is? It's not Mary Magdalene, if you've been reading Dan Brown or something. <laughs> uh, it's the church, right? St. Paul in Ephesians 6, he says, Jesus loves his spouse, the church. Um, we're supposed to read back into these gospel stories this image of knowing who the bridegroom is and who the bride is. We're supposed to see this as a celebration because the bridegroom has come and he's uniting himself with his bride forever, the church. And um, because the two become one, the church now shares his life. Paul can say, we no longer live, but this is the body of Christ. And then the church shares his glory, his awesomeness, his own spirit. Um, He has united himself so closely. And so wherever the church is, we have this celebration, this outpouring of grace that we could never expect. Um, if 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 you expect everything, if you've seen everything in life, you're cynical. You, you don't know Jesus, um, or you don't trust him. There's always something new, always something on the horizon for the Christian and for the church. Um, he loves his church. They used to call the church the mother. Um, they used to call the church the bride. In the early church, it was the bride, referring to everybody. Now, I think sometimes too often we, th- we talk about the church as the institution, right? And it is an institution. Jesus set up a community of people with lots of rules and a hierarchy of leadership. He set up uh, the sacraments, a way of life, a culture. And the church has remained the same kind of community 
throughout time, throughout the last 2,000 years, um, exists as a community with its own life in the world. That's an institution. That's fine. But it's more helpful, I think, to think of the church as the bride. Because that's how Jesus wants to relate to you and I. He's sharing his glory with us. And he wants us to know that that glory shines in the world, that we have a mission in the world. If, God, if, if really the story of humanity and the story of Christ is about God saving the world, he loved the world so much that he sent his son, then in the end what we're doing here as the church, that lady, that mother, has much more to do with God's work in the world, saving the world, than it does with you and me becoming perfect or you and me kind of, um, I don't know, doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Um, I think it's, it's a temptation to get drawn into this sense that the, my, my religious life is really about me becoming something or not becoming something, being freed from something. That happens in this life. We're being saved individually, but it's for a greater purpose, and that is to be conformed into this beautiful, glorious bride who is undeniably beautiful and awesome to the world and who shines in a way that draws people in a compelling way that they can't, they can't deny. Uh, to be in the world that way. And God is making that happen. It's true. The church is that bride. We are that bride in the world. We are that mother in the world. As mother, we have a responsibility and an obligation throughout time to teach, to teach the world, to guide and protect the innocent, as a mother would do in a family. And that's part of our relationship to the world of politics, that in every age you have leadership in the world, and the Christians are called to be a voice into that world and uh, to speak out about the ways that we see injustice, to do something about it, uh, to teach as best we can. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to listen. They don't, not everybody listens to their mother. <laughs> not everybody sees the glory, um, even though they ought. Eyes are, can, eyes are opened at times. And our job, in part, is just to be. Just to be there. And to continue um, to speak into the world. And, uh, and to witness to our love of Jesus. So we're in this relationship where we look at Jesus and we say, you are awesome. And we're going to remind the world of that forever. And Jesus looks at the church and says, you are wonderful. You are my beautiful bride. And I'm going to honor you and glorify you throughout history. But for the sake, a common purpose of the mission of Jesus, which is saving the world. Um, in part, that's a, that's a hope, something to expect in the future. This is the, that the kingdom of God will come, come among us and be perfected in the future. That's a reality in heaven. But Jesus said, I have come to bring the kingdom here. Uh, his dream is that God would be the king, the ruler of all of the world. And that's the ideal world. When that happens, everybody will live in love and in, in, uh, in harmony. And God is gradually working toward that. It's hard to see all the time. Um, but he's using the glory of his bride um, as, as this image of perfection to show to the world. Okay, the church isn't perfect. I don't know if, I, if you know that. <laughs> I don't know that I have to tell you that these days. Uh, but she's not awful. She's not. She's beautiful. She's beautiful and she's beloved by Jesus. 
He's continually working out the flaws in this human group of people, fallen group of people. Um, But in the meantime, he's calling us to live out that mission. So I just want to finish with this sort of um, appeal to you. I don't know exactly how to perfect the world. If you have ideas for politics and all that stuff, sometimes I'm interested. (laughs) Our purpose is much bigger, but we have an obligation to speak into the world, to pray for them. Our goal transcends our country, our time, all of these things. But we do have an obligation to look, open our eyes, and, and, and to speak into the world and to serve the world for its own good. You remember Martin Luther King, he, he calls for everybody to get involved. And when everybody gets involved, um, we work together toward good. You know? Especially if our hope is clear. What is it that you're working for and how do we unite? Um, so a lot of our efforts have been frustrated. Um, Catholics are still 25% of the American population. And we wield a lot of power, make a lot of enemies, but... Um, we don't, in the end, have all the power to change things. You know? we don't, I don't even think we always get things right and have our priorities straight. But um, I do have an ambition um, that I've recently been working on. That is that uh, next year in the uh, Colorado State Legislature, I'm working to get legislation passed to limit uh, the availability of pornography to minors and um, legislation that's passed in Utah and in Minnesota. Utah, that's super conservative. Minnesota, that's super liberal. Um, It's very necessary and an important issue in our time. Um, It's, yeah, troubling and uh, something that we can work on. So I'm not going to get you to do anything right now, but I want you to be praying for that effort. Uh, My job this year is to create a groundswell of excitement and interest in the issue and to educate people about um, kind of what's going on and what can be done. And I have uh, the help of some senators and congressmen of Colorado and then the uh, Colorado Con- Catholic Conference to, um, to pass some legislation next year. So it's a very hopeful time for some change, and I invite you to get involved in this particular issue with your prayers and your interest. I'm also working with the Chancery to organize town halls in uh, most of the parishes of the Archdiocese, so we can get all the Catholics excited and, and on board. Um, that's it's one of those things where you see something and you say, uh, something needs to be done, what can I do? I prayed about that, and then the Lord just kind of told me, here, do this. Um, and I'm very excited about that now. I think the Lord wants to do that in a lot of ways, big ways, little ways, in our families and in our society, and even in the world of uh, the politics in the state, you know? So be open to the voice of the Lord guiding you toward that. But also know that that's not where we put our ultimate hope. Ultimately, our mission isn't just to wield the power in society and then to get everything right, but it's to be a witness to Jesus and to his glory, to be a source of love, to be the mother and the bride, uh, the sister, the friend to, um, to the world. So um, we thank the Lord for inviting us into that beautiful reality and uh, thank, thank him for all of the ways that he has honored us and his church throughout history, giving us saints, giving us gifts, giving us joy and peace that's a witness to the, to the truth of, his, uh, of the gospel. And we ask that the Lord bless all of our efforts to, uh, to witness with boldness and with courage and uh, with the serenity and peace of Our Lady.
Let us stand and together profess our faith. I believe in one God. 